Chapter 22, Part 1 of Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jason Justice. Fox's Book of Martyrs, Volume 2, by John Fox, edited by William Byron Forbush. Chapter 22, The Beginnings of American Foreign Missions, Part 1. Samuel J. Mills, when a student in Williams College, gathered about him a group of fellow students, all feeling the burden of the great heathen world. One day in 1806, four of them, overtaken by a thunderstorm, took refuge in the shelter of a haystack. They passed the time in prayer for the salvation of the world and resolved, if opportunity offered, to go themselves as missionaries. This haystack prayer meeting has become historic. These young men went later to Andover Theological Seminary, where Adoniram Judson joined them. Four of these sent a petition to the Massachusetts Congregational Association at Bradford, June 29, 1810, offering themselves as missionaries and asking whether they might expect support from a society in this country or whether they must apply to a British society. In response to this appeal, the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions was formed. When a charter for the board was applied for, an unbelieving soul objected upon the floor of the legislature, alleging in opposition to the petition that the country contained so limited a supply of Christianity that none could be spared for export, but was aptly reminded by another, who was blessed with a more optimistic make, that this was a commodity, such that the more of it was sent abroad, the more remained at home. There was much perplexity concerning plans and finances. So Judson was dispatched to England to confer with the London Society as to the feasibility of the two organizations cooperating in sending and sustaining the candidates. But this scheme came to nothing. At last sufficient money was raised, and in February 1812 the first missionaries of the American board sailed for the Orient. Mr. Judson was accompanied by his wife, having married Anne Hasseltine shortly before sailing. On the long voyage out, in some way, Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Judson and Mr. Rice were led to revise their convictions with reference to the proper mode of baptism, reached the conclusion that only immersion was valid, and were rebaptized by Carrie soon after their arrival in Calcutta. This step necessarily sundered their connection with the body which had sent them forth, and left them wholly destitute of support. Mr. Rice returned to America to report this condition of affairs to the Baptist Brethren. They looked upon the situation as the result of an act of providence, and eagerly planned to accept the responsibility thrust upon them. Accordingly, the Baptist Missionary Union was formed, so Mr. Judson was the occasion of the organization of two great missionary societies. The Persecution of Dr. Judson After laboring for some time in Hindustan, Dr. and Mrs. Judson finally established themselves at Rangoon in the Burman Empire in 1813. In 1824, war broke out between the British East India Company and the Emperor of Burma. Dr. and Mrs. Judson and Dr. Price, who were at Ava, the capital of the Burman Empire, when the war commenced, were immediately arrested and confined for several months. The account of the sufferings of these missionaries was written by Mrs. Judson and is given in her own words. Rangoon, May 26, 1826 My beloved brother, I commence this letter with the intention of giving you the particulars of our captivity and sufferings at Ava. 
how long my patience will allow my reviewing scenes of disgust and horror, the conclusion of this letter will determine. I had kept a journal of everything that had transpired from our arrival at Ava, but destroyed it at the commencement of our difficulties. The first certain intelligence we received of the declaration of war by the Burmese was on our arrival at Senpu Kwan, about a hundred miles this side of Ava, where part of the troops, under the command of the celebrated Bandula, had encamped. As we proceeded on our journey, we met Bandula himself, with the remainder of his troops, gaily equipped, seated on his golden barge, and surrounded by a fleet of gold war boats, one of which was instantly dispatched to the other side of the river to hail us, and make all necessary inquiries. We were allowed to proceed quietly on when we had informed the messenger we were Americans, not English, and were going to Ava in obedience to the command of His Majesty. On our arrival at the capital, we found that Dr. Price was out of favor at court, and that suspicion rested on most of the foreigners then at Ava. Your brother visited at the palace two or three times, but found the king's manner toward him very different from what it had formerly been, and the queen, who had hitherto expressed wishes for my speedy arrival, now made no inquiries after me, nor intimated a wish to see me. Consequently, I made no effort to visit at the palace, though almost daily invited to visit some of the branches of the royal family who were living in their own houses out of the palace enclosure. Under these circumstances, we thought our most prudent course lay in prosecuting our original intention of building a house and commencing missionary operations as occasion offered thus endeavoring to convince the government that we had really nothing to do with the present war. In two or three weeks after our arrival, the king, queen, all the members of the royal family, and most of the officers of government returned to Amarapura in order to come and take possession of the new palace in the customary style. I dare not attempt a description of that splendid day when majesty, with all its attendant glory, entered the gates of the Golden City, and amid the acclamations of many, I may say, took possession of the palace. The sopwars of the provinces bordering on China, all the viceroys and high officers of the kingdom, were assembled on the occasion, dressed in their robes of state, and ornamented with the insignia of their office. The white elephant, richly adorned with gold and jewels, was one of the most beautiful objects in the procession. The king and queen alone were unadorned, dressed in the simple garb of the country, they, hand in hand, entered the garden in which we had taken our seats, and where a banquet was prepared for their refreshment. All the riches and glory of the empire were on the, this day exhibited to view. The number and immense size of the elephants, the numerous horses, the great variety of vehicles of all descriptions, far surpassed anything I have ever seen or imagined. Soon after His Majesty had taken possession of the new palace, an order was issued that no foreigner should be allowed to enter, excepting Lansago. We were a little alarmed at this, but concluded it was from political motives, and would not, perhaps, essentially affect us. For several weeks nothing took place to alarm us, and we went on with our school. Mr. J. preached every Sabbath. All the materials for building a brick house were procured, and the Masons had made considerable progress in raising the building. On the 23rd of May, 1824, just as we had concluded worship at the doctor's house, the other side of the river, a messenger came to inform us that Rangoon was taken by the English. The intelligence produced a shock, in which was a mixture of fear and joy. Mr. Gouger, a young merchant residing at Ava, was then with us, and had much more reason to fear than the rest of us. We all, however, immediately returned to our house, 
and began to consider what was to be done. Mr. G went to Prince Tharyarwadi, the king's most influential brother, who informed him he need not give himself any uneasiness, as he had mentioned the subject to his majesty, who had replied that the few foreigners residing in Ava have nothing to do with the war and should not be molested. The government were now all in motion. An army of ten or twelve thousand men under the command of Ki Woongi were sent off in three or four days and were to be joined by the Sakir Woongi, who had previously been appointed viceroy of Rangoon and who was on his way thither when the news of its attack reached him. No doubt was entertained of the defeat of the English. The only fear of the king was that the foreigners, hearing of the advance of the Burmese troops, would be so alarmed as to flee on board their ships and depart before there would be time to secure them as slaves. Bring for me, said a wild young buck of the palace, six kalapyu, white strangers, to row my boat, and to me, said the lady of Woongi, send four white strangers to manage the affairs of my house, as I understand they are trusty servants. The warboats in high glee passed our house, the soldiers singing and dancing, and exhibiting gestures of the most joyful kind. Poor fellows, said we, you will probably never dance again. And so it proved, for few, if ever, ever again saw their native home. At length Mr. Judson and Dr. Price were summoned to a court of examination, where strict inquiry was made relative to all they knew. The great point seemed to be whether they had been in the habit of making communications to foreigners, of the state of the country, etc. They answered that they had always written to their friends in America, but had no correspondence with the English officers or the Bengal government. After their examination, they were not put in confinement as the Englishmen had been, but were allowed to return to their houses. In examining the accounts of Mr. G., it was found that Mr. J. and Dr. Price had taken money of him to a considerable amount. Ignorant as were the Burmese of our mode of receiving money by orders on Bengal, this circumstance, to their suspicious minds, was a sufficient evidence that the missionaries were in the pay of the English, and very probably spies. It was thus represented to the king, who in an angry tone, ordered the immediate arrest of the two teachers. On the 8th of June, just as we were preparing for dinner, in rushed an officer holding a black book, with a dozen Burmans accompanied by one whom, from his spotted face, we knew to be an executioner and a son of the prison. Where is the teacher? was the first inquiry. Mr. Judson presented himself. You are called by the king, said the officer, a form of speech always used when about to arrest a criminal. The spotted man instantly seized Mr. Judson, threw him on the floor, and produced the small cord, the instrument of torture. I caught hold of his arm. Stay, said I, and I will give you money. Take her too, said the officer. She is also a foreigner. Mr. Judson, with an imploring look, begged they would let me remain until further orders. The scene was now shocking beyond description. The whole neighborhood had collected. The masons at work on the brick house threw down their tools and ran. The little Burman children were screaming and crying. The Bengali servants stood in amazement at the indignities offered their master, and the hardened executioner, with a hellish joy, drew tight the cords, bound Mr. Judson fast, and dragged him off I knew not whither. In vain I begged and entreated the spotted-faced man to take the silver, to loosen the ropes, but he spurned my offers, and immediately departed. I gave the money, however, to Mung Ying, to follow after, to make some further attempt to mitigate the torture of Mr. Judson. 
but instead of succeeding when a few rods from the house, the unfeeling wretches again threw their prisoner on the ground, and drew the cord still tighter, so as almost to prevent respiration. The officer and his gang proceeded on to the courthouse, where the governor of the city and the officers were collected, one of whom read the order of the king to commit Mr. Judson to the death prison, into which he was soon hurled. The door closed, and Moong Ing saw no more. What a night was now before me! I retired into my room, and endeavored to obtain consolation from committing my case to God, and imploring fortitude and strength to suffer whatever awaited me. But the consolation of retirement was not long allowed me, for the magistrate of the place had come into the veranda, and continually called me to come out, and to submit to his examination. But previously to going out, I destroyed all my letters, journals, and writings of every kind, lest they should disclose the fact that we had correspondence in England, and had minuted down every occurrence since our arrival in the country. When this work of destruction was finished, I went out and submitted to the examination of the magistrate, who inquired very minutely of everything I knew, then ordered the gates of the compound to be shut, no person allowed to go in or out, placed a guard of ten ruffians, to whom he gave a strict charge to keep me safe, and departed. It was now dark. I retired to an inner room with my four little Burman girls, and barred the doors. The guard instantly ordered me to unbar the doors and come out, or they would break the house down. I obstinately refused to obey and endeavored to in intimidate them by threatening to complain of their conduct to the higher authorities on the morrow. Finding me resolved in disregarding their orders, they took the two Bengali servants and confined them in the stocks in a very painful position. I could not endure this, but called the head man to the window, and promised to make them all a present in the morning if they were to release the servants. After much debate and many severe threatenings, they consented, but seemed resolved to annoy me as much as possible. My unprotected, desolate state, my un entire uncertainty of the fate of Mr. Judson, and the dreadful carousings and almost diabolical language of the guard, all conspired to make it by far the most distressing night I had ever passed. You may well imagine, my dear brother, that sleep was a stranger to my eyes, and peace and composure to my mind. The next morning I sent Mung Ing to ascertain the situation of your brother, and give him food if still living. He soon returned with the intelligence that Mr. Judson and all the white foreigners were confined in death in the death prison, with three pair of iron fetters each, and fastened to a long pole to prevent their moving. The point of my anguish now was that I was a prisoner myself, and I could make no efforts for the release of the missionaries. I begged and entreated the magistrate to allow me to go to some member of government to state my case, but he said he did not dare to consent for fear I should make my escape. I next wrote a note to one of the king's sisters with whom I had been intimate, requesting her to use her influence for the release of the teachers. The note was returned with this message. She did not understand it, which was a polite refusal to interfere, though I afterwards ascertained that she had an anxious desire to assist us, but dared not to on account of the queen. The day dragged heavily away, and another dreadful night was before me. I endeavored to soften the feelings of the guards by giving them tea and cigars for the night so they allowed me to remain inside my room without threatening as they did the night before. But the idea of your brother being stretched on the bare floor in irons and confinement haunted my mind like a specter, and prevented my obtaining any quiet sleep, though nature was almost exhausted. On the third day I sent a message to the governor of the city, who has the entire direction of pr prison affairs, 
to allow me to visit him with a present. This had the desired effect, and he immediately sent orders to the guards to permit my going into town. The governor received me pleasantly, and asked what I wanted. I stated to him the situation of the foreigners, and particularly that of the teachers, who were Americans and had nothing to do with the war. He told me it was not in his power to release them from prison or irons, but that he could make their situation more comfortable. There was his head officer, with whom I must consult, relative to the means. The officer, who proved to be one of the city riders, and whose countenance at first presented the most perfect assemblage of all the evil passions attached to human nature, took me aside, and endeavored to convince me that myself, as well as the prisoners, was entirely at his disposal, that our future comfort must depend on my liberality in regard to presents, and that these must be made in a private way, and unknown to any officer in the government. What must I do, said I, to obtain a mitigation of the present sufferings of the two teachers? Pay to me, he said, two hundred tickles, about a hundred dollars, two pieces of fine cloth, and two pieces of handkerchiefs. I had taken money with me in the morning, our house being two miles from the prison. I could not easily return. This I offered to the writer, and begged he would not insist on the other articles, as they were not in my possession. He hesitated for some time, but fearing to lose the sight of so much money, he concluded to take it, promising to relieve the teachers from their most painful situation. I then procured an order from the governor for my admittance into prison but the sensations produced by meeting your brother in that wretched, horrid situation, the affecting scene which ensued, I will not attempt to describe. Mr. Judson crawled to the door of the prison, for I was not allowed to enter, gave me some directions relative to his release, but before we could make any arrangement I was ordered to depart by those iron-hearted jailers, who could not endure to see us enjoy the poor consolation of meeting in that miserable place. In vain I pleaded the order to, of, of the governors for my admittance. They again harshly repeated, Depart, or we will pull you out. The same evening the missionaries, together with the other foreigners who had paid an equal sum, were taken out of the common prison, and confined in an open shed in the prison enclosure. Here I was allowed to send them food and mats to sleep on, but was not permitted to enter again for several days. My next object was to get a petition presented to the queen, but no person being admitted into the palace, who was in disgrace with his majesty, I sought to present it through the medium of her brother's wife. I had visited her in better days, and received particular marks of her favor. But now times were altered. Mr. Judson was in prison, and I in distress, which was sufficient reason for giving me a cold reception. I took a present of considerable value. She was lolling on her carpet as I entered with her attendants around her. I waited not for the usual question to a suppliant, What do you want? But in a bold, earnest, yet respectful manner stated our distress and our wrongs, and begged her assistance. She partly raised her head, opened the present I had bought, and coolly replied, Your case is not singular. All the foreigners are treated alike. But it is singular, said I. The teachers are Americans. They are ministers of religion have nothing to do with war or politics, and came to Ava in obedience to the king's command. They have never done anything to deserve such treatment, and is it right that they should be treated thus? The king does as he pleases, said she. I am not the king. What can I do? You can state their case to the queen and obtain their release, replied I. 
Place yourself in my situation. Were you in America, your husband innocent of crime, thrown into prison, in irons, and you a solitary, unprotected female? What would you do? With a slight degree of feeling, she said, I will present your petition. Come again tomorrow. I returned to the house with considerable hope that the speedy release of the missionaries was at hand, but the next day Mr. Gouger's property, to the amount of $50,000, was taken and carried to the palace. The officers on their return politely informed me they should visit our house on the morrow. I felt obliged for this information, and accordingly made preparations to receive them by secreting as many little articles as possible, together with considerable silver, as I knew if the war should be protracted, we should be in a state of starvation without it. But my mind, in a dreadful state of agitation, lest it should be discovered, and cause my being thrown into prison, and had it been possible to procure money from any other quarter, I should not have ventured on such a step. End of chapter 22, part 1. Recording by Jason Justice.